You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Man. Um, I don't know how to answer that. But he did call the guy that asked the question in a very funny way. A name. A name that I will not repeat. And everybody laughed. But I, I won't call you that name. No, he, he said he made a mistake. Uh, he said it made a mistake. I uh, should have never done it. Um, and he said it was bad judgment on his part. Uh, he was very, you know, much uh, in admitting. Um, but, you know, he also talked about winning. Uh, and he said he never gambled on his team doing anything but winning because he believed in his players. He trusted his players. He loved his players. So that's how he answered the question. So I'm paraphrasing what he said. You asked the question, I'm giving you the answer. But I'm leaving out one part because he had some kind words for the person who asked it. (laughs) Nick Saban responding to Pete Rose talking to his football team. Deep dive into that here in just a second. But uh, the fact that he just said... He was transparent, open, and admitted the mistakes. I've never really heard, as I said yesterday, I've never really heard Pete Rose be remorseful. So apparently in front of the... uh, And he may have done it, and I just missed it. I don't think so. But uh, he did it in front of the Alabama football team, and that's when it really, really counted, admitting he made a mistake and moving on. Good afternoon, Lars. Did you dodge all the lightning last night? It was a spectacular Mother Nature show. Unbelievable. It it was. uh, I have not seen anything like that in a long, long time. Uh, Where I live, it was essentially just like flickering lights outside. It was just absolutely constant. Um, but, uh, yeah, I want to stick with the gambling theme um, and get into Phil Mickelson. Uh, my good friend, Armin Katayan, who I uh, co-wrote a Showtime documentary with, and uh, Armin was a correspondent for 60 Minutes for years and years, and uh, we overlapped some time at Sports Illustrated. But Armin uh, was the writer of a book called Gambler, Secrets from a Life of Risk. And it is a a biography of uh, the professional gambler, Billy Walters, who is a Las Vegas businessman who is widely considered to be the most uh, successful American better in history. And Billy had formed a close friendship with Phil Mickelson um, the two met at a uh, pro-am tournament, I believe, in, in 2006, where they got, uh, they weren't playing together, but they were paired together. And uh, that was how they met. And and then the two started, started a gambling relationship with one another. Because Billy has been so successful over the years, uh, offshore bookies won't take any action from him. So he needs what he calls beards, right? And uh, so people to make bets for him or in conjunction with him, right? Uh, and we're talking millions and millions of dollars. And his most uh, successful beard, uh, the guy with the, the deepest pockets was, um, was Phil Mickelson. And in the book, 
Billy claims that Phil bet more than one billion, that's with a B, one billion on football, basketball, and baseball over the past three decades, and even attempted to place a $400,000 bet on Team USA in the 2012 Ryder Cup, in which Mickelson was a player. Um, and, and Billy, Billy told Phil, he's like, have you lost your blank in mind? Don't you remember what happened to Pete Rose? You're seen as the modern day Arnold Palmer. You'd risk all of that for this. I want no part of it. And Billy in the book, uh, says that he doesn't know whether or not Mickelson ended up placing the bet elsewhere, but, uh, the Americans did end up losing that Ryder Cup to the Europeans by one point. And, uh, you know, Billy also says that um, from and this and he's citing reliable sources and betting records. And I'm telling you, Armin Katayan is the, the best sports reporter, the best investigative reporter I've ever come across. Uh, he uh, again, he's he's a, he's a hard hitter. And if uh, I can assure everyone that uh all the information that is in this book has been thoroughly vetted, uh, not just by Armin, but also by by lawyers. And so Billy, he writes that from 2010 to 2014, <clears throat> Mickelson made 858 bets of $220,000 and 1,115 bets of $110,000. And, and Billy estimates that Mickelson lost about $100 million while betting <laughs> over one billion over those three decades. I mean, the, the numbers are just staggering, absolutely staggering. And um, it's, uh, it, it's really uh, just mind boggling. And, and, and Phil has admitted that uh, he, his gambling has been reckless and embarrassing and that he's had an addiction and 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 that you know it's been an issue with him and we knew that this was going to come out eventually because uh it was uh, they had a falling out after Mickelson refused to testify in an insider trading case against Billy uh Mickelson according to Billy could have exonerated him on uh on uh, securities fraud and wire fraud and conspiracy charges but Mickelson didn't he didn't and step Watkins forward went to jail yeah and he went to jail went to federal prison for 5 yeah. years and his uh or he was sentenced to 5 years his sentence was commuted by President Trump, but um, but uh, and so we we figured that this information on Mickelson was going to come out, and I, I talked to Armin yesterday uh, for a long time, and uh, he said again everything in this book is rock solid, and and um, you know even as he was researching it and trying to verify everything that Billy was saying that he was just stunned. And and Billy, he even says in the book, uh, you know, <laughs> nobody bets more than me other than Phil Mickelson. Like <laughs> he said that uh, Phil likes to gamble as anyone I've ever met. And uh, he said, but I had no problems with his betting because he has such a big net worth 
And uh, he said he's a big time gambler and big time gamblers make bets and it's his money to spend however he wants. He uh, but nine major league baseball bets a day. Yeah. And one day he called Billy and said, I want to I want to place 48 bets just on major league baseball alone in one day. Uh, I mean, this guy was just out of sight. Um, I, I do want to say one thing, Lars. We got to get out of the way. We had Eli Gold coming on in just a couple of minutes. But uh, does, does Watkins do this because Mickelson didn't testify and he wants to get back at him? I think uh, he he wants to uh, just give an honest account of his life and and uh, and the people that he's interacted with. But sure, look, there he's got an axe hey, to grind. He's okay, got an axe to grind. That way a little bit. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, I, he's prepared for that. Oh yeah. <laughs> Trust me, he is prepared. And he was all. He was, I would assume he was compensated for the book, right? Uh, millions of dollars. Yeah. 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 Billy Walters. Yeah. I'm not defending uh, Mickelson because we all we've all heard these stories, but I just wanted to point that out, and we'll probably get back into this a little bit later on the show. Uh, it's a great topic, especially since he was at the University of Alabama earlier this week. Uh, when we get back, he's uh, he's not only on the men, he's on the air. Eli Gold will be with us on Big Noon Sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Man. Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa, located at 2703 6th Street, across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to RR and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around, and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world renowned cigar and spirits destination. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Cloudy at times. We'll maintain the chance of a few passing showers or thunderstorms this afternoon and tonight. The high today, 91. Tonight's low, 76. Tomorrow, partly sunny. Scattered showers and storms are possible by afternoon. The high at 93. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 71 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Yeah, I, I love Eli. You know, he's uh, been with us for a long time. Uh, he's kind of the part of the tradition around here in terms of the expectation of being the voice of, you know, the Crimson Tide Network uh, in a lot of ways, whether it's radio show or whatever it is. And um, I'm just happy for him and his family that he's getting healthier uh, and he's able to get around and he's going to be able to you know, get back and do what he loves doing. So um, we're going to do everything we can to support him. And even though it may not be 100% full 
throttle. Um, we're sort of working them back into it, but I'm excited to have them back because I love working with them. Nick Saban speaks for the entire Alabama nation, and joining us to tell his side of the story is the one and only Eli Gold. Um, Eli, some pretty kind words there from your coach. Yeah, totally unexpected and great to be on with you guys, by the way. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, yeah, I was at practice yesterday, although I wasn't at the press conference. When, when the team wrapped up on the field, I took off and headed back to Birmingham. But uh, that was very, very kind of him to say, and, and I'm looking forward to uh, getting back. You know, I've been working out. Um, a lot of things have been happening in my life for the first time ever. Like, you know, going to the gym three times a week. Uh, sentences that never have been used with the name Eli Gold uh, over the years. But, uh, yeah, he hearing that from the coach yesterday was, was very, very nice. Very, very kind of him. Well, Eli, uh, it's really great to talk to you. Um, you know, Matt and I saw you... Uh, Jeez, I, I can't even remember when it was over it was a at couple yeah. years ago. At yeah, Bob's. he was, was going to do that Monday night show. That's right, exactly at Baumhauer's. Yeah, yeah. Claudette, lovely Claudette was there as well. Yes, yes, she yeah. was. And um, well, how are you preparing? Are you going to go through uh, some uh, rehearsals? Yes, actually, uh, this Saturday and next Saturday, uh, the team always does. Nick Saban always does full scrimmages. Uh, on the, the, the weeks leading up to the regular season. So we are going to do make-believe broadcasts, if you will, um, and just get the timing down and get uh, everything into, into place uh, and, and work on my, what I like to call my air, you know, being able to sit down. You don't just sit down and talk for seven hours. you got to be in, in some semblance of shape to do that, uh, not that we're doing a pregame show these weekends here, uh, but we're going to do these games just to, I've got a new color man, uh, which hasn't been announced yet, but uh, I, I, I will have somebody new beside me, as John Parker Wilson has uh, a new position uh, on the weekends working for the university. So uh, I'm going to use these next two weekends as, you know, dress rehearsals with my new color man and with uh, just a, a chance to get myself in shape so yeah we're i'm looking forward to that and i i i spend time at practice here you know I've, I've been doing that and getting to know the names and numbers and you know i i missed a whole year i missed the season so uh you know the, the names and numbers that i knew two years two seasons ago that's not germane anymore. So I've been uh, <clears throat> going to practice and, you know, seeing who's who and watch what and, uh, and, and learning from there. Eli, um, I think we've all pretty much caught up on, on all the many illnesses that you fought and won uh, over this length of time. And I, so I, I don't know if this question is a great word, germane. Did you have time to stop and miss any of it? And if so, what was it? Did I have time to stop and miss? Did, yeah, what, what did you miss? Or Everything. Did you because you were so yeah. ill. Everything. I missed the people. I missed the games. I missed the involvement. Uh, you 
know, waking up in a hospital bed on a Sunday or a Monday and not knowing what transpired over the weekend because I was so out of it. You know, this whole thing <clears throat> began what we thought, and that's what we had said. We, we thought it was a, a, an orthopedic issue because the first thing that manifested itself was my legs didn't work. I walked in, I mean, you can't imagine, just put yourself in the, I walked into the bedroom one night and <clears throat> went to bed, woke up the next morning and my legs did not work. Mm. My legs didn't work. I couldn't move. I couldn't get out of bed, couldn't walk, couldn't do anything. And, uh, you know, as it turns out now, we know that it was, you know, all sorts, all things related to cancer. But uh, we didn't know it at the time. It took us almost seven months for them to figure out what the deal was. And not because they weren't good doctors. They were great doctors. But the, the what they were giving me to try and get my mobility back, uh, a lot of steroid-based stuff, um, was masking what was really wrong with me. So, we, I mean, one of the first things they did was test me for cancer, and it came up negative. Well, that's because the steroids were masking what was really going on, and uh, we tested for everything. Uh, they tested me for a stroke. I didn't have a stroke. They tested me for this and that and the other. I mean, everything, and everything was negative. And then finally, as I think I mentioned on, I know I've mentioned on other interview shows, finally I, I got a, and now we go, we go from, from, from March and April, we're fast forwarding to December. And I got this terrible case of the hiccups. I mean, a terrible case of the hiccups. It wasn't just one hiccup now and another one in, in 10 seconds. They were one after the next, after the next, after the next, after the next. I couldn't catch my breath. I couldn't do anything. I, I mean, I was absolutely uh, debilitated with this, with the hiccups. So they found a doctor who specialized in, in that part of the body, and they ended up doing tests. And the tests brought forward the fact that I had a growth in my esophagus and that's what was uh you know that's what was the the problem that's where the hiccups were coming from and that was two days before christmas december 23rd of this past this past december and uh they come in and say well now we know what the problem is you've got cancer of the esophagus a growth, and uh, you know they they said that that's why the hiccups and that's why all this other stuff is going undetected simply because of the medicines. So within a few days, literally, uh, that was Christmas Eve Eve uh, on New Year's Eve, I took my first uh, chemotherapy session. So we wasted no time whatsoever. And, and the reason was, you know, I've ha I had had this cancer now for seven months, eight months. So it, it had a pretty big head start. 
but I couldn't, you know, we, we didn't know what it was. So it was going. It was stage two, then stage three, and almost stage four when they finally uh, wow. found out what was going on. So, you know, I missed a lot. I, I missed the people. I missed everything. I was a sick, I was a sick puppy, fellas. I really was. Yeah, uh, during the 18 weeks that you went through of intense chemo, uh, yeah. when your fight was really at the hardest, what were those sort of, those rays of light, the, the hope that you were clinging to, and, and what in the future were you just, you, you were just so determined to fight to do? Well, a couple of things, Lars. The biggest thing was when I was taking, the first thing they do when you get ready to sit down for the chemo is they say, all right, now here's what is likely to happen. You're going to lose your hair. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. They had all these things. So you knew, you know, what to expect. Well, I never lost my hair. I didn't have much to start with, but I didn't lose any hair. It didn't drop out like we've seen with other cancer patients. Uh, A lot of things have gone were going well in my, you know, even though I was tired, uh, I, I was I was doing well. So I was encouraged. I said, "Look, I can beat this, and that's what I'm going to do." That was that was thing number one, and number two, and number three. I was going to beat this, and then I was aiming to get back to the broadcast booth. I, I don't know how to do anything else. You know, that was vitally important. Also, my daughter is was waiting to, I mean, she, she and her, her fiancé now, they've been together 10 years. I mean, it's not a, <coughs> excuse me, it's not a, a new relationship. But, uh, you know, they said, yeah, all right, let's get married. And even though they've lived together and the whole bit, uh, the... Uh, the bottom line, though, was they didn't want to do anything until they could see what was happening with me. Was I going to be able to walk on walk her down the aisle? All of this stuff. So I was aiming to get healthy to be the, the father of the bride uh, in early 2024. Uh, it's it was just a lot of things that came together uh, that that motivated me to to work my butt off and uh, and that's what I've done. Eli, one of the things I actually learned from you is um, that you cannot over-prepare. I was wonder how far back are you or knowing you, you're probably, you probably already got your charts done, but um, Well, actually, I, I do have charts done for this weekend <laughs> yep. for the uh, scrimmage. It's, are you excited? Uh, I am excited, but I'm I'm nervous as well. I know that sounds strange. After 36 years of, of doing Bama football, I, I'm nervous because I'm, you know, yesterday sitting there at practice and I was quizzing myself. I'd see this tight end or that guy or this guy and I'd see them and then the numbers didn't pop into my, the names and numbers didn't pop into my head instantly Uh, and I had to work at it and work at it more and more in practice yesterday so that was good finally you know to get everything uh, together Um, 
but yeah, it's it's I'm I'm behind by a year. Uh, you know, I mean, the last game I did was the national title loss to Georgia in Indianapolis a couple of years back. So, you know, I've just uh, I, I've got a way to make up, and I'm sure Saturday will be a little rusty, and uh, then the following Saturday will be a whole heck of a lot better, and then the regular season opener a couple of weeks later. Uh, I should be ready to go. But, yeah, I do have charts made already for this weekend. Um, I've I've plugged in last year's stats for Middle Tennessee just as a uh, reference point because this broadcast this Saturday and next Saturday, it's not being heard by anybody. Uh, It is not on the air. We're doing a full broadcast. I mean, my, my spotter, Butch Owens, will be there. Everybody will be there. But uh, it's not going out on any airwaves. It's just being taped so that I can go listen to it and see where I have to uh, improve and so on and so forth. Uh, but, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'm, I'm not nearly as ready as I plan to be. But I'll, I'll learn more as we go. Eli, when you were going through the hardest times, were you aware of just the outpouring of support and love, not just from the Alabama fan base, but just fans of yours from all around the country, colleagues of yours like Matt and I, uh, and and also Chris Stewart. What 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 kind of role did Chris Stewart, given his uh, health problems that he's had, did he serve as some inspiration for you? Sure. Uh, Chris and I talked a lot. Um, he and I, he went when he had his problems. Uh, one of the places he went to was Spain, the, the Spain Rehab Center, not the country Spain, but the Spain Rehab Center over at uh, UAB. And of the uh, five or six different hospitals and nursing homes and so on that I was in, uh, I went to Spain as well, Spain Rehab, so I spoke with Chris. Uh, he called me on a regular basis. Uh, I called him. I needed to talk sometimes to somebody. I mean, because, you know, my family, my God, they were spectacular. Uh, but they hadn't been there and done that, if you know what I mean. Chris had been in the hospital in that same rehab facility uh, struggling for his life, um, and as it turns out now, as I know, um, you know, I was too. I mean, there were there were nights where the doctors told Claudette that I might not make it through the night. I mean, I was far sicker than I realized, and uh, so I talked to Chris, and he was very uh, encouraging to me, and uh, you know, obviously he, you know. I, I knew that the, the, the job was very much in good care uh, with him behind the microphone. Uh, it doesn't didn't make it any easier listening to it. You know, it's no, it's like anything else. Uh, it, our, our trainer Jeff Allen said to me, he said, "Now you know what it's like for players who have to be put on the injured reserve list, or uh, you know, whatever it's called in any given sport." Uh, he said, "You know, it's no fun." watching somebody else play your position and uh, and and it was a sad way too for me but you know chris was wonderful 
but every you know I, I got cards and letters uh, very few came to me directly most all came to different radio stations affiliates uh, and so on and uh, you know Ryan Fowler sent me God he collected stuff and 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 he he sent uh, cartons and cartons and bags of 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 letters and notes and rabbit ears and uh, not rabbit ears rabbit feet <laughs> you know little rabbit's feet <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, you know all sorts of stuff that the fans were kind enough to uh, to send so um, you know and then I I would hear from. You know Kevin Harlan, who is a good, and I, I don't say these names just to to drop names. Good dear friends uh, of mine, uh, you know Sean McDonough, uh, Vern Lundquist. He he contacted me and checked on me all the time. Uh, you know Charles Barkley uh, got uh, contacted me through Josh Maxson at the universe. I mean everybody. It was. It was remarkable. So, um, uh, it, it, you know, I, but I always remind myself, it's not Eli, per se. They love the Alabama Crimson Tide. Okay, you know, you can't ever let yourself get bigger than the, than the, the, the overall. They love the Alabama Crimson Tide. And for 36 years, 35 years at that time, they were you know, welcoming me into their homes uh, with with coverage of their favorite team. So, you know, they, they were pulling for me, but they were pulling for the Tide uh, at the same time. And, you know, it's, it, it was just, it was remarkable, guys. It really was remarkable. Um, Eli, we'll wrap it up with the final question. Is there something now that you're more aware of or something that you learned that wasn't with you before this entire order. Oh started. gosh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the thing you've got to remember is if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. I mean, that's. I mean, this thing just totally derailed me. But I, I, I've been telling this to people, and it's very, very true. I have been. Uh, I was lying there in one of these fancy, uh, lazy boy kind of chairs that they have where you get your uh, infusion. And I don't know how many of you know what about the chemotherapy. It's given to you as a in, through intravenous. Uh, and so there I am sitting in this chair and I've got clear fluid coming through this one tube and I've got uh, I've got this bright red poison which is what it is, you know, the chemotherapy is, yeah. I've got this bright red stuff coming through this other tube. Uh, I've got a, a port in my chest where they're putting stuff in. And I realized, you know, I, w I was sitting there one day, uh, Claudette and Elise had gone downstairs to grab a little lunch while I was up there getting this drip into me. And I realized that there are so many people who are facing so much of the same as I am, or even worse, you know, I met so many people 
who have been, you know, who were dealing with, with more than I was dealing with. And I said to myself, when I get back on the air, I'm going to be broadcasting for the benefit of all of those people, not just the Bama fan, not just the football fan, but I am going to be broadcasting for the benefit of cancer patients, cancer survivors, cancer caregivers, uh, and even not just cancer, other diseases as well. I found how it was so important to know that people cared about you. Uh, and I need, I mean, I, I, I need to put that out there. When I get on the air, um, you know, this weekend I'll be thinking about them, but we're not on the air really this weekend. You know, the first game on the second, I'm going to be out there and I'm going to be broadcasting for the benefit of all of those folks who might be listening to us at the Spain Rehab Center or at a different nursing home or a hospital. Uh, I was all over, man. I've been to so many facilities. So I'm going to be broadcasting for and to those people as well as the Bama fans and so on. It's, uh, it just showed me, you know, how, how big this world is, how many problems people have. And it showed me how blessed I am to have a, a platform that I can use just to, you know, to, to communicate with these folks and let them know that we're thinking of them. Fantastic stuff, Eli. Just we look forward to you. Boy, you really tweaked my interest with the new color analyst. You're not going to just go ahead and let us break that, are you? No, I can't no, because no, my no, boss no. needs to do that. No, you're you know, that's it. Right. It's a former one thing, player. One thing it's a that former re- player. Former yeah, player. Uh, yeah. Well, one one thing remains as sharp as ever, and that is your eloquence, Eli. And Thank uh, you, what, what you what you just said uh, touched not just me, but I'm certain just uh, people all across this state. It uh, really is so terrific to have you back. Well, thank uh, you. Everybody's been so kind. Oh, and, and you for being on with us. Thank you, Eli. God bless you. Anytime. See you and talk to you soon. Yes. You got it, guys. Take care and continue success with the show. Thank you. Thank you, Eli. Eli Gold, uh, voice of the Alabama Crimson Tide. He'll be back in the booth at Brian Denny Stadium for the game against Middle Tennessee State University. Um, Really, boy, I'd kind of like to find a corner of the press box to to listen to what he's doing the next couple of Saturdays. But uh, that is for years only with the Alabama Crimson Tide Sports Network. Hey, let's take a break. We're quite behind. And when we get back, uh, good news for former Alabama quarterback Greg McElroy. That's coming up on Big Noon Sports. Down to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports.
Well, we might have lost Matt there. The the timing on the, the Gremlins is always um, immaculate. Lars, are you still here? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, what a, an amazing interview uh, with Eli Gold. Uh, Eli, he's just, uh, you know, he's been through so much. And, and you can tell that uh, this whole battle has given Eli a, uh, a new perspective on life, uh, as it would for anyone. And, um, you know, when you're, when you're sitting there and, and going through the chemo treatments, uh, it's nothing, thankfully, I've ever had to go through. But uh, I, I had a cousin who uh, had pancreatic cancer, and I would sit with him as he went through chemo. And I just, uh, I, I, he would just, he was, get, get the, chemo, the chemo makes you just so, so sick. And, um and, and for Eli to emerge from this, I think can really be a source of, of so much inspiration. But uh, yeah. what, do you, what do you guys, uh, or Matt, I'll, I'll go to you, just uh, your, your reaction to uh, Eli's words and, and, um, and just how this whole, um, this whole ordeal, to put it mildly, that he's gone through has uh, clearly given him a new perspective absolutely and he worded it so well as you said eloquently but um i was just i think like eli and claudette i was just stunned when what we were talking with him at bob Baumhauer's about his feet i think was part of his problem uh i know he had a couple of other orthopedic issues but then to suddenly find out that it's all cancer uh i'm sure obviously he was blown away but uh i have uh had secondhand close-up on chemo because lars as you know and you were around uh my wife had stage four breast cancer and she went through the whole shebang let me tell you folks that chemo is horrible it is poison it basically kills everything in your body in the process of killing the cancer oh yeah and it burns burns your feet burns your um, I'm really surprised you didn't lose his hair. Most people do. But anyway, I've been there, done that, seen that, and I certainly uh, have high praise for Eli for coming through it like a champion. And um also found it fascinating that he was very transparent. He said, no, I'm a little nervous. I wouldn't yeah. be too for him. But uh, I thought that was cool, and he pushed all the buttons, but he, he did it from a very genuine perspective, and I appreciate that very much. And uh, thanks, Eli for uh, join us on Big Noon Sports. Yeah, just a Matt, couple of other oh, notes. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask you, um, I, I first met Eli, just to stick with Eli for a second, um, I first met him when uh, I, I came on Hey Coach uh, a, a few times, and he just always was so uh, reassuring, right? When you're up there and uh, the camera goes on and you're it's live, radio, TV, and he just makes things so easy and calm. And it's just like, hey, you're just talking to me, right? And it's it's just very, very easy. And and since then, you know, we've we've become friends and uh, I, I've never heard anyone say a bad word about Eli in our profession. And that's rare, right? Because usually uh, to get to the top, you have to uh, throw some elbows, but that that's not Eli at all. How far back does your relationship with Eli go? Um, 1981, 82, something like that. He was during Birmingham Bulls hockey. 
Uh, and I think shortly thereafter, he started doing the Birmingham Barons play-by-play. Then he started a show called Calling All Sports, and it was legitimately the first uh, weekday. I think they were on five to seven sports calling show. And this city was absolutely starved for something like that. So he excelled in that. And, uh, you know, he's continued to do some hockey. I think he, even in the past couple of years, he did um, did some Predators games. But uh, anyway, great conversation, and we'll reflect back on that throughout the show and possibly leading up to kickoff. Did want to mention that Greg McElroy is big time. He's going to the big booth on Saturday night at ESPN to work with Sean McDonough. Uh, congratulations to him. He is excellent on air. Hey, let's catch up on our break, Mark. We'll be back in just a minute. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Cloudy at times will maintain the chance of a few passing showers or thunderstorms this afternoon and tonight. The high today 91, tonight's low 76. Tomorrow, partly sunny, scattered showers and storms are possible by afternoon. The high at 93. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 90 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Presented by Haley Sansing Union Home Morgan. Lars, reflecting back on our conversation with Eli Gold a little bit, and I mentioned it as we signed off with him. Um, and I, I'm supposed to keep up with stuff like this, but somewhere along the lines, there must have been an announcement about John Parker uh, and, and moving into another situation on game day with the University of Alabama. But obviously that leaves open the color analysts. And uh, Eli, that needs to come through the university. I was kidding around when I asked him who it was going to be. But I'm wondering who it, who it is going to be. He did say, and I think we all pretty much assumed it would be a former player. Um, Lars, how aware were you of this? And have you got an idea who it might be? Uh, it might be the guy that precedes us. It could, could be, uh, but no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, uh, I, I, I don't know. And um, I, I thought that John Parker did a uh, terrific job. And I've known uh, JP for a long time uh, and uh, really just good all around person. And um, yeah, I, I'll, it'll be interesting to see who, uh, who they pick and, and you mentioned uh, that ESPN announced uh, yesterday that uh, Greg McElroy has a, a new college football assignment this this fall, and uh, got a big uh, big promotion. He's uh, joining Sean McDonough and uh, Molly McGrath on ESPN's Saturday Night Primetime. And um, I know that Greg he had recently signed a long term contract extension with ESPN. And he's now entering his eighth year of calling games for ESPN and ABC. And uh, vividly remember Greg uh, when he was a player at Alabama and uh, just uh, how incredibly smart he was uh, and obviously still is. And I remember joking with him saying, hey, after, after you have your uh, time in the NFL, 
I'm sure we'll be seeing you shortly at ESPN. And he was just like, ah, no, man, no, no, no. And and here we are. He's now <laughs> one of uh, one of the most uh, he has he has one of the most sought after gigs in all of uh, sports broadcasting, and that is to be calling ESPN's Saturday night primetime game. So a lot of uh, eyes and ears will be on Greg and. He's certainly up for it, and it's pretty cool, you know, that uh, that he has done so well, and it's been fun to watch his career grow, and and the fact that he uh, lives here in Birmingham uh, just reinforces that hey, we are the uh, college football capital of the world here, Matt. On every platform, I guess. Oh, <laughs> I was I was a little surprised that Greg McElroy did not play longer in the National Football League. He certainly was a prototype pocket passer guy and smart enough to read any defense and memorize any playbook. Were you? Uh, not really. I just don't, he just, I mean, I think he'd be the first to, to admit this or say this, that he just didn't have, physically he didn't have the, the makeup of a, uh, long-term NFL player. I mean, that's no no knock on Greg. He uh, at Alabama, he maximized his talent. Uh, I remember I uh, nominated him to be uh, Sports Illustrated's Sportsman of the Year or Sports Person of the Year, and uh, it was just because of how important he was in uh, in the evolution of Nick Saban at Alabama and what a key role that Greg played. And he got the most out of his talent. He maximized his potential. That's all that any of us can hope to do, whether it's uh, playing football or being in business or being in uh, writing or, or whatever, uh, is to get the, get the most out of what you have. And Greg was able to do that. I mean, he was a Rhodes Scholar finalist uh, in just, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I just, I just, he just, it, to me, uh, he probably didn't have the arm to uh, to stick around the NFL, but for a long time. But uh, you know, he had uh, just the fact that he was able to make it, and I think he even started one or two games for the Jets, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but I know he uh, played with them. Yeah, yeah, um, but. He is. Uh, he has got a a mind for the game, and he does such a good job as a color analyst because he can break down complex uh, situations that he sees on the field and distill them in a fashion that makes it accessible to people like you and me who don't know don't have a PhD, so to speak, in the X's and O's of the game. And he just does such a good job of, uh, of, of, of just analyzing what he has seen and, again, relating it in a way that makes it understandable and digestible to, uh, to uh, fans who, you know, again, there, there's a lot going on in a football, on the football field and it is complicated and Greg can just unravel that and, uh, and, and give an explanation of what's happening in a way that everyone can understand. I think it was you that pointed out um, that McElroy was not recruited by Saban. He was actually recruited by Mike Shula. Yeah. And uh, Saban came in and 
what do you know? Goes on to lead them to a national championship. Pretty cool stuff, actually. I yeah, do remember it, one time in the game against Florida for the uh, SEC championship, and McElroy was known more for a passer, but didn't he do this magnificent little uh, tightrope tiptoe dance down the sideline in order to get a critical first down late in that game, or is that just something I'm popping? I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't remember that. But he was. Uh, if you think about it. He's almost like the ideal Saban quarterback. <laughs> of course, Nick Saban loves having the Heisman Trophy winner and uh, and first round draft picks and and all of that. But I think if you were to uh, you know hook Nick uh, or hook up Coach Saban to a lie detector test and ask him what style of football do you want to play, it would be a menacing defense. A, uh, a ball-controlled uh, power offense with a quarterback who is cerebral and doesn't make mistakes and can make uh, a play here and a play there when you need it. And I think uh, that that in, in a lot of ways, you know, uh, Nick Saban was a very good high school quarterback. I think he saw a lot of himself in Greg McElroy. And it was like, and again, Greg was sort of an extension of Nick Saban. And uh, he was just a, the perfect quarterback at the perfect time to win that first national title against Texas in, in the Rose Bowl. And uh, ever since then, I mean, there's just been no looking back, you know, uh, and, and just how quickly things were able to turn around at Alabama uh, under Saban, and, and Greg had a big role in that. And I know, again, he didn't put up the gaudy numbers, but uh, he uh, just, he, uh, it was perfect time, perfect place, perfect player for Nick Saban. And uh, and I know that, that Greg and Nick are, are still tight to this day. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, big fan of McElroy and his work. Of course, he hosts the morning show in Birmingham on Jocks, along with Cole Kubler. And when we get back, Lars, I'm sure you're familiar, familiar with Lindy Davis and Lindy's sports magazine. Uh, one of their senior writers, Lynn Scarborough, will be joining us on the other side of the break as we approach the 1 o'clock hour on Big Noon Sports. Hang around, guys. WTUG HD2 Northport. W265CG Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9. And streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. More Big Noon Sports coming up. It is Big Noon Sports. Presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Morgan. Matt Coker, Lars Anderson, Justin Jones. As uh, we enter our second hour... Oh, I'm still curious about the new color analyst. Like, they're just hanging around. I need to find out. I have to know, Lars. Inquiring <laughs> minds want to know. And I'll know by tomorrow. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Who do you think it who do you think it will be? I don't know. It may be Christian Miller. I mean he he did great sideline work. Um I, I think that would be a good fit for him. Uh and let, let's do face this. Everyone knows this. Nick Saban, Nick Saban's hand will be all over the selection, too. 
and uh, as it was with John Parker. Um, but I, uh, I think those two get along well. Um, it, it's pretty early in Christian Miller's career, but he's proved to, to be uh, pretty darn good in a short amount of time. So do you have a guess? Because then there might be, uh, golly, he was the guy that almost got it a few years ago. Is it Mike Johnson, the lineman? Yeah, I, I I honestly don't know. This is a little bit inside baseball in the broadcasting world for me. Uh, I I just don't know. Um, there have been so many uh, great players that have uh, really have a, a gift with words, and uh, uh, you know you you couldn't go wrong with Christian in, in my book. And obviously, Christian was a, a part of our show, and and we uh, fondly had you know great times with him and uh you did a show with christian so i i i would say you know not knowing much i would say christian would be the leader in the clubhouse well you know now i think about it um i don't think i'm speaking out of turn if i apologize to david dubose but i think christian is still planning on doing that morning show um so uh i don't know uh and Perhaps we should probably stop talking. <laughs> yeah. Something is in the works, and, and I don't want it to be that big fat fly in the ointment. So, uh, good luck. And um, yeah, I mean, to anybody yeah. who ends in there and gets it, I'll tell you, this is another thing, and it goes back to Eli. Um, when you're doing play by play, particularly you've got a young, uh, somewhat of a rookie color analyst, um, you gotta you gotta help them. You gotta set them up. And nobody will set anybody else up any better than Eli Gold. So whoever does sit in that bucket, uh, they will be in the presence of absolute professionals. And that in itself will make their job a whole lot easier. Yeah, and uh, another parallel between Alabama and Auburn is that uh, Jason Campbell, right, the former Auburn quarterback who led uh, the Tigers to that undefeated season in 2004 was a first round draft pick of the Washington Redskins. He is going to uh, replace uh, our, our good friend, Stan White, uh, who served for 22 years as the uh, color analyst uh, for Auburn. And it, it's pretty amazing. Just over the last 43 years, Jason Campbell is just the third football radio analyst for Auburn. Right, so Stan White had the job from 2001 to 2022, and before that, uh, former Auburn quarterback Charlie Trotman was the color analyst uh, from 1980 to, to 2000. So uh, a really good run of consistency there. And um, look, Matt, you have done uh, so much play-by-play in your career. What, in your estimation, makes a good color analyst? one that can break down and explain a play it's 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 changed a little bit in that regard because so many games are on television and if you're on television it's one thing this will be radio though you've got to build a picture in the listener's mind um play-by-play guy to put it too simply we'll do down distance handoff yardage gained first second down add color and, and good verbiage is along the line as to you know, when whomever uh, is carrying the ball or whatever defensive play, 
you know, you add a lot of punch to that, and then you just stop, and then hopefully you've got a color analyst that can just follow you, and you have that chemistry where the color analyst knows exactly when you're going to stop, and you're sitting beside each other, so it's not like it's the most difficult thing in broadcasting history. But then they pick it up, and then let's just say, for instance, they point out that J.C. Latham just pancaked a linebacker. Okay, sometimes that'll come along during play-by-play, often is the case with Eli, because he's so observant. But then add something to the description of that play, and then in that short amount of time, go a little Romo on them and say, all right, now it's second and three. Uh, Maybe we look for them to hand off to Jace McClellan. Yeah. I think I did okay in in explaining that. No, absolutely. It is vastly, vastly different between radio and television. I think we can all literally see that. Oh, I, I, I hate to say this to a television person, but I think it's harder to call a game on radio. I mean, you've done both, obviously. But yeah. just because uh, there, there is so much information that you have to have in front of you and then in a very quick way, I mean, what if uh, Alabama subs in their third string running back and you you aren't familiar with his number and you got to kind of look that up and uh if you know uh the ball goes to him you got to know a little bit about him and uh there's just there's a lot and and also Matt I mean does it feel like I don't know that you you're just uh in a rush like because things are happening so fast and and it's almost like you don't have time to almost uh react yourself or really think about it it just has to be sort of natural and coming out and that's where the preparedness comes in right absolutely absolutely and that's when you have guys and um i had some wonderful spotters in my life too my my buddy uh, my late buddy Rex Shannon was my spotter for many, many years. But when you mentioned a third string tailback coming into the game, Eli mentioned his spotter, Butch Owens. That's when Butch Owens points that out. Um, Eli, so he says that into, says that into your now, ear. What he does is Eli has this uh, large chart in front of him. One side's offense, one side's defense. Um, but what he does... What Eli and Butch used to do is they used pins, you know, like the little pins that you put on maps. Yeah. And when somebody, when a starting tailback comes out and a new one comes in, Butch places the pin on the new guy. So Eli just looks at the board and immediately knows it. Um, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to to get inside a booth when you're dealing with uh, like a University of Alabama or like what Greg McElroy, uh, to watch the movement, the reaction, the professionalism, and then listen to the sounds is just, it's, it's, like, um, it's like an orchestra. And everybody's got to play their instrument perfectly, and they all play off the lead of the play-by-play guy. But then you got a producer like a Tom Stipe in your ear that tells you stuff, and you got other things like you've got reads, you know? you got sponsorship reads. Um, it's a wonderful, chaotic mess, but uh, and, and, when and it properly, it produces beautiful music. How much do you need to temper? How much? No, this is good. This is really good. How much do you need to temper your own sort of uh, affection for the team that you are covering? 
right? Um, you're an Alabama graduate, and let's say that you were calling an Alabama game. How, how, do you try to play it? And, and you're calling it on the Alabama network, right? So you're speaking to Crimson Tide fans. Is it okay to slip into that role of fan, or yeah. do you want to maintain a, some level of objectivity? You have to maintain a little level of objectivity. Uh, but no, you lean. You lean crimson. Uh, you lean orange and blue if, if, um, if you're Auburn. Uh, you can't go absolutely overboard because then it just kind of takes away. Uh, and I think fans would agree. But it also depends on who you're working with. Uh, some schools, organization, franchise, would rather you play it a, a lot closer down the line. Uh, some would rather you go over the top. Uh, and then, of course, there's what we would refer to maybe as network. And that's where you play it straight down the line because you don't want anybody to know that you have a lean towards any team. Um, and, and you learn that. And, you know, you also uh, receive instructions from whomever you're doing the football game for. Um, but that, in a nutshell, is, is what you try and do. And I think Eli, getting back to him as a perfect balance. We know who Eli's pulling for, right? <laughs> and it sounds like he's pulling for Alabama, but he doesn't tilt the scales of balance to a degree where it just sounds like, man, this guy is the biggest homer ever. Let me tell you, though, inside, you want your team to win every time because it makes your job better. You know, Matt, I think yeah. a, the great example of we knowing who Eli's pulling for is his, his famous... Uh, quote there's another one for the good guys right we're the good guys in his scenario <laughs> oh, yeah Touchdown, um, Alabama. what about Corey Reamer is that a name uh, to keep in mind I knew your little fingers were just wearing your, your no my fingers are are not not tapping uh, they're not making music on the keyboard <laughs> uh, no I just said you're if you are research people that might be in the running for it, but I think Corey Reamer would be. Uh, outstanding linebacker, right? Early in the Saban yep. career. Doesn't uh, did yep. Corey co-host the show that Eli did at Bob's? Uh, right? When we were in there? I think so. I think he did. Yeah. They So they have a, uh, a relationship with one another and uh, rapport. And um, yeah, he... Uh, yeah, Corey was a part of uh, the uh, early years of uh, Alabama um, when say I think he was a sophomore when Saban arrived, and um, he was on that national championship team of uh, 2010. And so we'll see. That's uh, that's who I'll put it this way. That's who my money's on. If I if I were uh, the Phil Mickelson of uh, gambling of on who's going to be the next Alabama color Is he analyst. Is he the calling card for betting? Is he going to take over that role <laughs> for Pete Rose? Yeah, I think so. One billion dollars. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> Did it ever say how much he won versus how much he lost? I think that the net like was he, he he lost he lost over a hundred million total. But if and that may and and, and and there have been whispers as to that's the reason why he has become the face of the live tour because he needed that two hundred million that he got as a signing bonus to go to live because of his well, gambling then, debts. 
Well, then I, I have to wonder, this Billy Watkins guy was considered the greatest gambler in America, and they wouldn't take his bets offshore. Um, I guess if Mickelson's taking his cues off that guy, gee, <laughs> it, gets, it gets complicated. It is. But, uh, lawsuits following up on this, Lars? No. I, this really? is airtight. It's cut and yep. dry? Yeah, this is airtight. Well, they can be airtight. Somebody's still going to sue you. Yeah, but, I just don't. I just don't know. If Phil Mickelson wants to go down that path with Billy. Well, it certainly will extend the conversation. And now, can you imagine the hecklers in the gallery? I mean, yeah. Now, when he plays, it's going to be all about betting. Who's your money on, Phil? <laughs> it's in the hole. It's in the roulette hole. <laughs> All right, uh, when we get back, we're going to talk with Lynn Scarborough. Hey, that's that's some good uh, that's some good fan heckling right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but the, the the really the ones that are really good at that could outdistance me in a heartbeat. Lynn Scarborough from Lindy's is up next. Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at lee at thebamabroker.com. That's lee at thebamabroker.com. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Cloudy at times, we'll maintain the chance of a few passing showers or thunderstorms this afternoon and tonight. The high today, 91, tonight's low 76. Tomorrow, partly sunny, scattered showers and storms are possible by afternoon. The high at 93. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 75 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports.
We we must have lost him. I'm gonna give him a quick call back, guys. Hey, no, I'm I'm here. Can you hear me? dollars a week and i asked for that much because each magazine i wanted to buy was at like a dollar fifty so i figured uh i could get two magazines a week and i was just obsessed with buying the uh the pro football preview magazines the college football previews and i would just absolutely devour those magazines i mean just reading everything about every team and i just uh just thoroughly enjoyed it and uh matt i think uh, i think we got lynn up here i believe hey guys hey hey lynn how are you man How's life uh, doing, with doing you? great, doing great. Hey, and keep buying those magazines. I've got grandchildren that need socks. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> if, if, the more of them you buy, the more things I can buy. So uh, so keep uh, keep up the good work. Let's start there, Lynn. Just tell us how much the magazine and, and then to the Internet. And I understand now you, you may have some broadcasting interests, too. In fact, I know that you do. But um, just take a minute and explain What's happened to the magazines? Where they are now, and what you're doing? Well, we're we're still in good shape, but the you know when uh, I've been working with Lindy's for thirty this is thirty three years now, we've been in business forty two years doing the publications, and there were you know when 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 I got started with Lindy's, uh, which I'd already been working in the industry about twenty years by then, but 
you know, there were a dozen or more companies that do what we do just in the print portion. And I think there's three of us left. And, uh, and we're now the largest volume, uh, guy in the country in, in, you know, the area of what we do. We'll, between our football, baseball, and basketball magazines, we'll sell probably 700,000 publications. Our audience is probably wow. one and a half million, maybe a little more than that. And, and our radio network, which we're, we're, uh, proud to be, you know, broadcast there in Tuscaloosa, um, is I think we had 114 affiliates last year in, in like 14 states. And uh, that's far cry from you know what we used to be. The biggest challenge, though, to us, of course, the the print industry's changed, and and you know the the internet and blogs and and instantaneous news is part of that. But the biggest challenge that we've had, guys, in the three plus decades that I've been doing this, uh, is what we faced this year with uh, the name, image, likeness, and the transfer portals, and the changing of the uh, teams to different conferences. And it's just going to be worse next year. I've already got a headache thinking about what we're going to be dealing with next April when we're putting together our magazines that uh, that 14 big tw- uh, Pac-12 is not going to be the Pac-12. There may not even be a Pac-12 uh, by the time we do that. I, I'm going out to Berkeley to cover the Auburn-California game and uh, we <laughs> that return trip to Auburn uh, there may not be a Pac-12 they may not even be in a conference. I mean so so much so much has changed and in the past year, uh, really has changed more, and and it makes it makes uh, people that do what we do, uh, whether it's in print or broadcast or uh, internet or whatever, uh, it makes it more difficult because you're never really certain, you know, about what if if what you're talking about is valid. Uh, Lynn, uh, Lars Anderson here. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And, uh, and, and, and as, as someone who worked at a magazine for 20 years, uh, and that magazine now no longer ex- basically exists in your hand, you can go, still go to si.com. How have you had, how has Lindy's Sports Annuals been able to survive and uh, being uh, there on the newsstand, whereas all these other magazines have, have fallen by the wayside? Well, it, it's, it's two or three things, Lars. Um, one is we're, we're individually owned. Uh, there's, there's three people that have part ownership in Lindy's. Of course, Lindy Davis being the primary one. Uh, you know, there have been opportunities when we could have might, might have, have done something else, but but we're we're our own bosses, uh, and we we control whether or not we're using high quality paper, uh, whether or not we're using uh, uh, stock information, uh, whether or not we're using high quality photos. Uh, you know, we're we're not going to we are not going to inhabit sacrifice the quality of what we do in the in depth of the content or its appearance. Uh, that's that's one thing. Um, and, and because of that, um, the larger, larger corporations primarily are a lot of the ones that have gone out of business. And I know SI, you know, I grew up on SI and, um, and, you know, and, and, and certainly familiar with what you've done through, uh, through Sports Illustrated over the years. It's, it's been a sad thing, uh, for me to see what's happened to SI and so many other of the, of the companies that, used to be our competition and they they don't exist anymore but we've also had to expand and and branch out you know uh 11 this is our 11th year with the lindy's football report radio network 11 years ago we didn't have a radio network uh i don't guess anybody did uh in in the nature of what we do and we grew from i think we had 13 stations that first year we had 104 it had 13 stations in two states we had 114 stations in uh in 14 states last year 
it, it's no longer large the day that you can just throw something out there and everybody's going to get it because they can't get it anywhere else. Uh, you know, we now, you know, we, we write individual columns and we've got guys that are well-known writers around the country that have other full-time jobs. Lindy's is a sidelight for them. But the fact that we've got those guys and we've got their uh, got their names in the publication, you know, when you're when you go to a Lindy's and you're reading features by Dennis Dodd, uh, you know, that's that gives credibility to us. It's, it's certainly it's good for Dennis to do it too. But um, but we've we've tried to keep high quality and we've tried to keep local control and we've tried to be flexible uh, to where we could kind of modify as the market allowed. And and not everybody's been blessed to be in that position. Hey. Lynn, can you hang around? We got off to a rough start there. We need to take sure. a break. Can you hang around for a yeah, few well, you minutes? Go, you, don't go to, you don't go to the top of the hour? No, no let's just go to 45. You know the business. Okay, we can good. talk this. Sounds good. Let's yeah, I'm, I'm not in a rush. All right. All right, good. Lynn Scarborough from Lindy's will be joining us and continuing on the other side of the hour. What, what I want to ask you about what he wrote about and uh, some of the things that he contributed to this year's. And we're going to get into a little bit of basketball, okay? You're listening to Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sensing, Union Normal. This is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. Sports, Matt Coulter, along with Lars Anderson. Justin Jones is our producer, and our guest is Lynn Scarborough from Lindy's. Lynn, uh, what did you contribute uh, that you'd like to talk about in the uh, in the edition, the college football edition now? Uh, I appreciate you giving me the chance to point something out. We, we have a uh, feature in all of our magazines in each one called Keeping the Faith. It's a Christian-based um, uh, feature. And we do it, quite frankly, because we can. Uh, we think that something needs to be done, and you know, the, the government doesn't control us. We can do what we want to do, and uh, and we we have a Christian emphasis feature. The one this time, I'm in charge of it, but I don't always write them. But I did write the one this week. It's a man named Reese Slaughter. He's 98 years old. He was 97 when I went that, went up to his house and uh, and did the interview. Um, he played for Auburn. He's the oldest living former Auburn football player. 
he he turned 98 in uh i guess it was in june he turned 98 years old his mind is sharp as a tack guys and he's uh he's he's a he's a really funny man but he's got an inspiring story it's not it's it's not a good feature because i wrote it it's a good feature because of this man's life and he is a, he's been a leader and he's had two two really bad tragedies happen in his life guys from which a lot of people would have thrown in the towel and uh and said this is the last kick in the face i'm going to take and Mr. Reese didn't take it that way. Uh, he leaned on his faith. He was a he became a, a real leader and example for people. And um, in my in my interviewing former players and coaches and and people that experienced him, uh, I could have. It's a one page feature. I could take in three pages to talk about the life of Bruce Slaughter and the importance that he places on character and determination and faith and this type of thing. Uh, so the the one feature that, that I would would like to point out doesn't really have anything to do with what games are going to be played on uh, on the field in September. Uh, it's the life of a great man, Mr. Reese Slaughter, uh, who shows that uh, that uh, character and uh, the tr- troubles and triumphs that you go, go through in uh, related to athletics, um, you know, can, can mean a whole lot more than just whether or not you won the game. Uh, so anybody that's got the publication or is going to get, or even going to our going to our website. Uh, they, we found. posted it on the website on, on Mr. Reese Slaughter. Lynn, uh, give us your, your breakdown of this Alabama team and uh, what you like, what questions remain, just uh, your overall analysis uh, from all the, the, the research that uh, that Lindy's has, has done on Alabama. Again, I think it's going to be an outstanding Alabama team. Um, you know, there's, there's very few uh, constants uh, in things that we do, and Alabama having a competitive football team is, is certainly one of them. I think they might be putting a little bit more, um, uh, the public might be putting a little bit too more, much concern about the quarterback position. I don't want to, I don't want to downplay that. Um, there's no question if I had a chance to have a junior or senior who's talented and has uh, gone through two or three uh, seasons of, of football warfare, or somebody that hasn't, I'd rather have the guy that's experienced. Uh, and, and most of the ACC teams are going to have four- and five-star guys that are competing. So I'm not trying to poo-poo it off. But, you know, you can say, let's take Bo Rogers at Mississippi State. He's an outstanding quarterback. I think he would be the leading statistical quarterback coming back in the SEC. But you're not going to see him on any all-SEC teams because of the the uh, surrounding cast that he has. And that's not to cast dispersions on Mississippi State's players. But – uh, you know, I would I would rather have a really good, solid quarterback uh, surrounded by great players uh, than a guy that's the the greatest quarterback ever been at the school, and he's got me out there trying to protect him. Um, so I'm I'm not that concerned. Um, I would I would say that uh, teams that wanted to, that that have a, would have a chance to beat Alabama probably would wish they could play them early in the season, like Texas gets to. Uh, we do some business out in Texas. One of the primary companies I work with is in Austin. And they're they're still a little peeved uh, that you know that that was a game last year they thought they should have won thought they they controlled but they ended up not winning it. I know Alabama had had some that they lost that they could have won, but they also had some they won that they could have lost. And Texas feel like feels like that's one of them. Uh, we've got Texas ranked high again. Uh, you know we we've, we've uh, you know drank that Kool Aid several times and and it's ended up being poisoned. And I don't know what's going to happen with them this year or not. They they look good on paper. Um, I think the Texas Alabama game. I know I know ESPN game day is going to be in Tuscaloosa for that uh, 
it speaks speaks well for the SEC. Game day starts uh, that first week in Charlotte with South Carolina and uh, North Carolina. Then they move to Tuscaloosa for Alabama and Texas. So uh, that that speaks well for what we got there. Uh, again, I look for Alabama to have a very strong uh, very strong team. I, I you know I like LSU, and if if all teams got to play around the same time and play on their home field, I probably would have voted LSU. Uh, to win the West in my vote at the uh, SEC Media Days in Alabama second, uh, they they get the advantage. Alabama gets the advantage of playing them at home and not having to play them early in the season. Uh, LSU is a team. We've got LSU ranked number five in the country, uh, and and the, the four above them are Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan. Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State have the same disadvantage. All three of them lost a veteran winning championship type quarterback, and Michigan does not. Uh, so I'd give Michigan a little bit of a push there. LSU at number five kind of sits there below the radar. And not, not many people talk about them that much for a natural, national championship contender. But, uh, but you know, they could be. Uh, I think Tennessee's going to be a very good team. Um, and and they, they play in, in Alabama. And um, so I'd lean, lean to Alabama that way. But I do think Tennessee's going to be good. Auburn's going to be better than what people realize. Uh, they're going to have a solid team. The question is, are they going to have a better record uh, than they did? Because they play, in, I think, in a maybe in a four-week period, they play at LSU, at Texas A&M, maybe at Arkansas. They've got a, you know, they've got a schedule that's not real good. Of course, they play Georgia every year. Um, but I think they're going to be a decent team. You know, I, I think any of those teams I'm naming could, could give Alabama a game. But if, if Alabama loses... I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't suspect they'll have a perfect season, but I do expect Alabama to be highly ranked and have a really good, uh, really good campaign. Hey, jump into Georgia just a little bit here. Are, are they headed towards a three-peat? Well, we've got them picked to do it, but it's almost by default. Um, Georgia, and I'm, I'm not trying to cast dispersions on them. Part of this was something out of their control. Their game against Oklahoma, but Georgia's got the easiest schedule that I remember for a championship contending team in a long time. Uh, they don't play Alabama. They don't play LSU. Um, their their major game was against Oklahoma, which would have been tough. It's going to be out in uh, Norman. But it's my understanding the SEC influenced that game not to happen because it was going to have a repeat game next year when Oklahoma would be a member of the conference. I'd like somebody to tell me the difference in telling Georgia that you don't have to play Oklahoma. Why didn't he tell Alabama they didn't have to play Texas? Now, what's the difference? You got a you got a major team coming in next year, and you yeah, play them this year, so you cancel it. It, it may be guys because Alabama made that trip to Texas last year, and they wanted the return to happen. And yeah. since the start of that home and home series with Georgia and Oklahoma had not happened, maybe they viewed that in a different way. But I did mm-hmm. think it was interesting that Georgia got to have the the easier schedule by not playing Oklahoma, and Alabama still has to play Texas. You know what? You're the first person to make that point, and it's a really good one. Um, can we go to the Big Ten? Ohio sure. State, Ohio State, Michigan. Who do you lean toward? Well, I, I would say Michigan because of the uh, because of the quarterback factor. And you know, Michigan's beaten them a couple of years in a row. I think after going a long time without it. Yep. And uh, and you've been having some little off the field stuff about Ohio State. The thing that gets me about the Big Ten guys and and things that, that I think puts the SEC in the driver's seat um, is evidenced by the fact of what these conferences are doing. Yeah, the SEC expanded before these guys did and went from 14. I, I still wish we had 12, but they went from 14 to 16, 
but they brought in two powerful teams traditionally that are in contiguous states to the SEC. There's no big difference there and already have some natural rivalries within the conference. Don't you know everybody's just sitting on the edge of the seat waiting for that Rutgers-Oregon game? Boy, that one, don't you know people are making their plans around that or, or the uh, that big uh, Maryland game going to UCLA? That's got to really fire those folks up. And I don't see any logic to this. I think the SEC is is making making the other conference look foolish, the other conferences. Because it's like guys are trying to figure out a way to keep up with the Joneses. The SEC is sitting there, and they are the Joneses. I liked what the commissioner said. No, we're not planning on going any, any larger because these other leagues are. It's like the other leagues are expanding and expanding more than the SEC to try to put the SEC in their place. And the SEC's not uh, not biting on that. SEC's going to have a logical 16-team league. Uh, and these other leagues, you know, the, a- the ACC is going to bring in uh, uh, Stanford and California. Really? Well, that, that California Miami hurricane match. That's a that's a real logical one. At a time when gas prices are up over four dollars a gallon, and uh, and they're talking about uh, keeping expenses down and um, and having to keep uh, athletes away from class too long, and so they let a team in California be in the same league with one in Florida and one in New Jersey be in the same league with Oregon. I just uh, you know I I hope the commissioner sticks to his guns and that the SEC presidents do. Because I think the SEC looks like in a real strong position right now, and and in some ways these other conferences almost look comical to me, and and some of them aren't even going to exist anymore. I love what Sankey said about not playing in four time zones. I mean, he just uh, he didn't just subtly hint that he didn't agree with that. He just took a shot at the Big Ten and the ACC and all of those. And oh, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. Honestly, he, I'm glad he clubbed them I with think- it. Oh, yeah, I think he did it on Feinbaum, I think, Monday. But uh, I think it's warranted, and I think it was a really, really good thought. Before we let you go, just give us yeah. a quick look on who the top three, four teams that, that y'all are looking at and Lindy's Magazine might be in SEC basketball. Okay. I don't want to throw the whole thing out there. We, we no, you to want to go to buy the magazine, magazine week so don't after go that, it'll, it'll be on stands in September. Uh I can tell you that Alabama and Auburn fans in the audience are, uh, you may be a little bit disappointed, but uh, because you think your guys ought to be a little bit higher than we've got them. But uh, we've got six, we've got a minimum of six teams going to the NCAA tournament. Um, we we don't have an, an SEC team, at least based on one through four, one through six, to play for the national championship, but we've got several teams that are top 30 teams, 30, 40, whatever you'd be to get in the tournament. Um, Tennessee's going to be mighty strong. Um, Kentucky will have its usual deal. They've got, uh, you know, they don't have as many seniors as they had a couple of years ago, but their their freshman class was the, the top in the country, and they, they got a couple of one-and-dones most likely. Um, I think Arkansas is good. SEC's got a good group of coaches right now. Oh, when you've got, uh, you got Calipari and Musselman up at Arkansas, uh, Nate Oates and Bruce Pearl, um, not want to be too critical for the state of Alabama audience, but uh, we, I'm, I'm, I'm from Hueytown, and I'm uh, a state of Alabama guy and a SEC guy, so I admit my prejudices up front, but um, we have not always, we mean state of Alabama, we have not always had guys in the coaching positions, uh, particularly Alabama and Auburn, that always understood the audience and understood basketball's position in relation to football and understood the uh, 
way that you need to relate with your fan base. And I think you've got that now. And um, it, it's sort of from that vein like it was with Sonny and Wimp. And, you know, two all-time favorites of, you know, of, of most everybody probably in our audience. And um, I, it, it will be a good year. And there, you've got a lot of really good players that people don't even don't even think about. I think the team that goes under the radar the most, at least in our area, is Texas A&M. Buzz Peterson, uh, you knew it was going that he was going to get a, a decent team out there, and um, you know they started out so badly last year. If you remember, um, they were they lost to Wofford and they lost to a couple of other teams you know, almost hadn't heard of, and uh, you know when they were O oh, and whatever. Then they turned around and ended up being a factor in the in the SEC and and had a chance to go to the NCAA tournament. We've got we've got A and M ranked high. I've seen a couple of sources that have A and M ranked even higher than we do, and I guess I'm not sold on them because I just didn't realize how good their players were. So I think A and M is going to be your dark horse guy. Um, uh, Alabama and Auburn are going to be good teams. Uh, they've got strong personnel, um, and they've got good they've got good recruits coming in, and um, and I, if this is not a really fun season to uh, to cover, I'll be you know I'll be very surprised. Lynn, one one more college football question for you. Sure. Uh, just looking at the at the scope of the entire country, is there a, a dark horse team out there that you think could uh, surprise and perhaps sneak into the college football playoffs? All right, let me think of that. Um, maybe Florida State. Uh, Florida, Florida State was was getting better. Uh, they've had a good transfer portal situation. Uh, they've got good commitments coming in. Uh, so maybe maybe Florida State. Uh, you know, we're talking about on the national scale. Um, Penn State is a sleeper. Uh, we've got we've got a number of affiliates on our Lindsay's Radio Network, Lindsay's Football Report Network, up in Pennsylvania. I was talking to one of their one of their folks that covers uh, Penn State and Pittsburgh uh, within the last week. And they're kind of a sleeping giant. They feel that all the all the uh, emphasis is going on Ohio State and Michigan, and what's happening within the Big Ten for membership overall, and that uh, that Penn, Penn State is kind of being overlooked. Uh, Southern Cal's good. Uh, they're you know they're they're strong. Uh, hey, Oregon's good. Uh, I, I think Bo Nix is you know could have the same kind of year he had last year with another year under his belt, and they they brought in some good people. Um, so that that would sort of be the ones if you're looking for the ones that are kind of dark horses. Uh, I guess if I had to pick one, I'd probably take Florida State. I, I think in a, you got several early important games. Florida State opens with LSU, and whichever team wins that game, to me becomes the real. Although it's not a conference game, uh, the team that wins that game kind of kind of sticks it sitting. The guy that loses it's not going to be in bad shape, but the winner of LSU and, and Florida State is going to put itself up there as a serious contender for its conference championships. And if you can win that, then, you know, then you're, you're in good shape. Hey, I kind of like Ole Miss. They've got the best quarterback room in the SEC. They got, um, uh, Spencer from, uh, from, uh, from Oklahoma state, who was very, very good. Uh, they've got Will Howard, uh, you know, that was at LSU and, and they got Jackson Dart from Southern Cal. They've got three guys on their team that were successful starters. At, at major programs uh, under an offense that uh, you know that's always proven to be good. That the defense there has not always been great, but their offense. Anytime, anytime his teams are, are on the field, they're going to have a good offense. 
So I, I kind of look at Ole Miss as a team. You, you have to score a lot of points. Of course, a lot of people do against Ole Miss's defense. But you have to score a lot of points to beat Ole Miss because of the quality of the people that they've got and the backups they've got in, at, uh, at their skill positions, particularly at quarterback. That, that's, that's things that kind of hit my mind quickly. Yeah, um, I love what you said about Oregon, too. I, I think uh, Nick's is a, a legit Heisman contender, really do. Um, yeah, I do, too. He, he, uh, had he not been playing under Harson, and I don't mean this W for Harson particularly, but had he not been playing under Harson for that, that portion of two years, uh, you might have seen a different situation from Bo Nix. Lynn, thank you so much for joining the show. We're going to have to do this again uh, very soon. Again, it's Lynn Scarborough with Lindy's uh, Magazine. Thank you again, and uh, yeah, let's always, talk soon. always good to be on with y'all. And uh, if y'all want to set up some times to uh, get together on the air, y'all just uh, y'all just contact me and let's talk about it. We'll do. Uh, look forward to it. Thank you, Lynn. All right, okay, you're listening guys, good to, to big, talk, y'all. You bet. Uh, listening to Big Noon Sports. We'll be right back for our final segment. Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at lee at thebamabroker.com. That's lee at thebamabroker.com. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Cloudy at times. We'll maintain the chance of a few passing showers or thunderstorms this afternoon and tonight. The high today, 91. Tonight's low, 76. Tomorrow, partly sunny. Scattered showers and storms are possible by afternoon. The high at 93. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 75 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Back. Big Noon Sports. Wrapping the show up. Presented by Haley Sensing Union Home Mortgage. Really good show. Uh, guests always throttle it. Um, having Eli Gold and Scarborough on, certainly. Added to the content of this program. One of the things that Lynn brought up. And actually, we talked about it a little bit yesterday, the day before, with Greg Hankey's comment about the four time zones and the conference changes. Um, have you got more? I, I was just going to stop and look up how far it is from Miami to San Francisco. Well, um, it doesn't 
appear right now that uh, Stanford is ever going to be making that trip. Uh, Because uh, uh, last night, the ACC presidents met, and uh, according to various sources, the pursuit of Cal and Stanford uh, to uh, uh, join the conference has hit, quote, significant roadblocks. And uh, I I think the biggest issue is that uh, the ACC... They have a a revenue gap with the SEC and the Big Ten that could reach $30 million annually, right? And so if they are going to add schools, those schools need to bring in revenue, right? And uh, Stanford is great. The academics uh, and the, uh, the fact that Stanford produces more Olympic athletes than any other uh, university in the country, but that doesn't translate into big time revenue. And Cal is kind of in the same boat. And so I, I think that the ACC presidents are, are putting the brakes on, on, um, on pursuing and, and going forward with uh, trying to get Cal and Stanford on board. So uh, we're kind of, they're kind of back to, to square one for, for Cal and Stanford, uh, still looking you know, for a dance partner here and, and where they could go next because the Big Ten had a chance to add them, Matt, but the Big Ten uh, in, you know, they had their reasons for not doing it. And their reasons were uh, simply what the ACC is, is saying now is that the, if you're going to come and join our conference, you've got to bring something to the table in terms of uh, increasing uh, revenue. And uh, and Cal and Stanford just can't do that. So um, right now we'll we'll see what happens. And also, if you bring in Cal and Stanford, it's going to dilute the pot of money that is available uh, for the uh, television uh, contract. And Florida State has already said that they want a new revenue distribution model because Florida State draws more eyeballs than uh, any other team in the ACC, including Clemson, because Florida State does have a a massive fan base, as you know, Matt. And so this also could be a way to uh, for the presidents of the ACC to try to appease Florida State. You know, you just start thinking about it and you you look back to when we first got that news. That was a head scratcher, but you make great points on revenue and what they bring to the table. I don't think that uh, they're they're raising the water level, you know, to all boats. Um, and I just looked it up. If you were, uh, let's see, San Francisco to Miami is a little over 3,000 miles. Um, and, you know, if your goal is to make more money, the economics there don't fit because, like you just said, uh, Cal and Stanford aren't necessarily going to bring a lot of money to the table if added to the ACC. So, uh, man, Lynn Scarborough made a great point about what the SEC is doing um, as far as the, you know, s- hanging together. And while the other the other conferences are making all this moves, these moves to try and and I think he's right, better the SEC. I think now, looking back to what Sankey said the other day, the SEC is better with their geographic pat hand and don't alter from it. Yeah, and also, you know, sometimes the best move you make is the move that you don't make. 
And exactly. uh, and I think uh, Sankey is 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 playing this right uh, right now, and just sort of uh, you know seeing how things uh, f- flesh out and and where everything lands. But there's no need to make a panic move uh, just as a uh, reaction to what the Big Ten is doing. And then a, a move that, uh, you know, you spend 48 hours thinking about, but the ramifications of that last uh, 10, 20, 30 years. So um, I, I, I think uh, prudence is the uh, proper course. And, and that certainly appears to be what uh, Greg Sankey and the leaders of the SEC are doing right now. The one thing that I think might push the SEC into expansion that's dangling out there are the Seminoles. Um, I don't know if you have to get into a fist fight about it, but I you say whether or not you agree here. Um, the SEC should try and get FSU as opposed to letting them go to the Big Ten. Agree. And, uh, and then you package that with either North Carolina or Clemson. Uh, and the, the key date is August 15th, which is uh, rapidly approaching. That's uh, five days from now. So we'll know midweek next week because that's when the ACC, if you're in the ACC, you have to notify the conference that you are uh, have intentions to leave within a year. And so that is the, the key date. Uh, the deadline's coming up and decisions will be made. Tomorrow we'll uh, tell you who the quarterback in Alabama is going to be and the new color analysts. How about that for a tease? we got to get out of here. Have a great day. This has been Big Noon Sports.